At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to Dreamers and Unicorns, brought to you by People Strong. Hey, Ginny, who do we have today? Well, Abhijit, today our guest is Pratik Kumar, CEO of Wipro Infrastructure Engineering, and you can talk to him about the myths and realities of Industry 4.0. Okay, great. Let us start the show. The fourth industrial revolution will transform the way we work. It will connect people, processes and machines and is expected to impact how the manufacturing sector operates in India. Hi, I'm Abhijit Bhaduri and I work with organizations to transform their leadership teams, talent strategy and culture. My guest today is Pratik Kumar, who is going to tell us if the manufacturing sector in India is really ready for industry 4.0. Hey Pratik, welcome to Dreamers and Unicorns. Thank you, Abhijit. Very happy to be here and to be speaking to you. When I look at uh, your career graph, Pratik, there are a couple of things that really intrigue me. You have spent about three decades in the same company. Is that normal today? So yes, Abhijit, it's been a it's been a long stint with Wipro and a very rewarding one. And when I started way back in 1991, Wipro was a relatively small organization, and I had experience of having worked in two previous organizations. So you had done your share of job hopping. Yeah, and those are relatively shorter stints. So when I okay. came in, I had not come in with any preset expectations or you know timeline which I had defined for myself, and I told myself that I'll take it as I as as it comes along. And it's only when I get reminded how long actually I have been able to spend in the organization that I realize that uh, it's so many years have gone by. But there is something else which I would like to uh, you know, elaborate because this question has been posed to me uh, previously as well. At least in my reference, uh, career uh, should not get measured in terms of its chronological age, uh, not in terms of the tenure of association with an organization, because mm-hmm. I believe mm-hmm. that career is a series of lifelong experiences. It's about learning. It's about transitions. It's about identity changes. And that is what actually makes any career rich in terms of the experience and the variety of experiences one has had. And I feel extremely grateful having been part of the organization which has been able to provide me that kind of platform. Any career to be fulfilling, I believe, needs to have quite a few things to actually come together. Mm -hmm. You obviously need to have an organization which supports you. But more important, at least in the initial year, you got to have people and the mentors who are there to actually shape you along. You you got to have a set of people you enjoy working with, and of course the culture, uh, which uh, which which resonates with what you actually believe in, right? Mm-hmm. And alongside, you also have to be extremely lucky. So when I look at my own Wipro journey, it just seemed to have actually ticked all those boxes. So really, you know, I mean, three decades, close to three decades, but I never had an, I would say, either a need or an inclination to look beyond. You talked about something interesting. You said that, you know, the culture of the place. In any organization, I believe that the role of the leader 
uh, is very critical in shaping culture because, you, you know, you will experience it as the leader changes some elements of culture, the way it feels to the average employee, it changes. And if I were to ask you that, you know, you have been in human resources, you've had a say in shaping many of the policies which, you know, lead to an impact on the culture. And you've also now in your role as you moved uh, from being in human resources to the CEO of a business, you now again have a different kind of a opportunity to shape culture. How does the role of the leader define that? What are you conscious of doing or not doing? It's a good question. So culture, as is commonly understood, is something which is deeply believed in and it's widely shared in the organization. And, you know, by the way, I mean, policies don't make culture. It's uh, is the demonstration of behavior on a consistent basis which go on to actually shape the culture of the place. And it's interesting you said that the leadership really is the role quotient. I mean, we we do not realize enough how minutely we are observed every single day and what we do, what we question, what we challenge, what we reward, what we recognize, what we say, how we come across in meeting situations outside. Uh, that go on to, uh, it, it sends a message. Mm -hmm. And on a repeated basis, when it actually gets done, it uh, it tends to actually shape the behaviors of others in the organization as well. So the role of the leader uh, is under a microscope and that, when done repeatedly, yes. sets yes. behavior patterns. So two things. One, of course, the core of the organization gets defined over a period of time, which is mm -hmm. really what it, it deeply believes in and it stands for. Uh, I would think that doesn't get tinkered around as much. But there is an outer layer, the behavior, the demonstration of it, uh, which each leader brings its own flavor. To give you an example, if let's say an organization says that it's got a bias for action, right? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the cultural element of the, how the organization, he or she would like to be perceived. Now, you've got to actually back it up with a set of actions as well, right? So, which means how you actually respond, the urgency with which you get back to a customer query or how you respond even to a simple thing like an employee's email, right? That sends a message. You do it. Your team members begin to uh, read it as something which is an acceptable behavior in the organization. And you reinforce it uh, by the way you recognize it. It soon becomes the language of the workplace. And when done consistently over a period of time, you realize it begins to shape the behavior of the people around. And that goes on to actually shape the culture of the organization. So when you think about uh, companies with very strong cultures, you know, which they have unique practices, the way they reward, the way they punish, or the kind of things they celebrate, um, do you think it's a good idea for an organization to have a really strong culture? And the reason why I'm asking that question is because uh, could it be that when you have a very strong culture, somebody who doesn't conform to that culture uh, would find it very hard to survive? And uh, therefore, a new idea yeah, would get yeah, rejected yeah, yeah, by yeah, the yeah, immune system of an organization. So can culture be a limiting so, factor? So it can actually play both ways. Uh, culture, uh, for sure, strengthens the beliefs of the organization. It it makes it easier for you to communicate. Uh, it allows you to be able to identify the right kind of people who can uh, be part of your own team. But if it becomes a barrier in your ability to change, uh, then it's a risk. So I always talk about 
you know, the quadrant where uh, some some of the best organizations begin to falter if their willingness to change and the ability to change weakens. So sometimes deep cultures uh, could actually make you believe that, you know, this is the way it ought to be in all times. And uh, when there is a requirement for the organization to be able to take a different track or move or change and ask yourself some very, very uncomfortable questions. Uh, there could be naysayers in the organization who will turn around and say that, look, it's never been done here before because of the culture of the place. In that sense, yes, it could be a barrier. So yes, culture culture is advantageous in strengthening your belief, your ability to communicate, but uh, it cannot actually go to a stage and a point where it becomes a barrier for a change. And, if, and that's what I would believe any uh, wise leadership mm-hmm. at all times should be conscious of to make sure that uh, it does not lead to inflexibility in the organization. It does not uh, reach a point where you completely get blindsided uh, to the realities of what you should be doing mm. and make and make the changes which is necessary. So what you are saying is, uh, you know, making sure that the culture is strong enough to execute things in a cohesive fashion, but not so sort of uh, uniform that it disregards anything which is coming in from the outside. So keeping that little balance between outside in as well as a strong culture. is uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to add to what you said, it's true with anything, uh, anything which is your strength, right? it could also have a flip side to it, which you need to be conscious about. And so it is true with culture as well. When you moved from being in human resources, which is what you studied, which is what you spent your early years in, and then you actually moved into a CEO role, uh, what was the, what were the initial days like? And you know what was that transition point? Uh, tell me about some of those moments. So just to back up a bit, my own transition into the the business role was not something which was an overnight decision. It was uh, part of the discussion I've had with my manager even before I moved into the group HR leadership role. And uh, to me, it was a very good preparation ground, and so I believed. uh, And how much time did you have to do that prep? Uh, You know, what was that time? Ah, it was relatively long. You know, I mean, my entire uh, stint in corporate Mm -hmm. Uh, I had opportunity to work along with various businesses, uh, be able to sit in reviews, be able to engage and interact with the team. So he had a fair idea about what that business was about. And I had done my own bit in HR. I mean, I was I had done that, uh, if I may say so, there was some amount of jadedness which was beginning to set in. Mm-hmm. Um, you wanted to challenge yourself a little more to do something different. And also, create space for a very, very capable team to also uh, grow up. So combination of these factors. And uh, so when I moved into manufacturing, uh, in some sense, the larger part of the organization, which was focused on IT, I was not as dazzled moving away from the IT and the services sector to manufacturing. And the intent for my movement was really to be able to challenge myself learn something new, and hopefully be able to contribute. So when I went there, I went in with the belief that uh, I knew and understood what that business was about, and I was so awfully wrong. Because when I went there, you realize that you had your understanding of either the product or the business model, its applications, its customers. It was very, very different. What uh, came in the way? Because you had spent some time 
um, looking at it from the outside. So what changed? So unless and until you actually step in and understand and face the day-to-day issues, you never really uh, completely come to grip with uh, what this business is all about. And from the outside, one may tend to believe, and in a very simplistic way, people say that, look, the business rhythm is the same. Uh, at the end of the day, whether you are in one function or the other, I mean, you have to deliver an output. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to assign tasks. You have to review. You have to make sure that the timelines are met and and the rest. So, yes, I mean, that basic rhythm, I would tend to agree, is the same. But did you actually come in there? Because it's a, it's a very different space the uh, the the reference to the timelines are very very different you know the customers and the expectations are very very different um, the volatility which actually it goes through is very very different um, and it's nothing you cannot actually prepare yourself till you actually step in and you have to actually learn it i was lucky uh, that i inherited a team which was very very capable and uh, i made no bones about not being able to understand fully what was there and once you once you volunteer to learn from whoever actually can teach you and that's one of the lessons which uh, I uh, picked up fairly early uh, you would be finding yourself uh, a lot of people who would genuinely come forward and help you along by the way this can only happen in the organization where you have grown and that's the other lesson I mean you do not get that kind of flexibility if you were to happen in an organization outside the fold so to your question, the difficulty was not so much in uh, in understanding uh, the business and what we are driving, but uh, it was to get into the finer details of the products, its applications, the, the business cycles, the customer expectations, which takes a while. There is something else, if I may, just uh, is, you know, besides the role dimensions, I think... Uh, there is a very heightened sense of responsibility when you get into a business leadership role. And that responsibility is about because you realize your decisions are beginning to impact uh, the the careers of people, their own livelihoods, the direction which you wish the organization to take and you bet on could come through, it need not, and it could have an impact. And you need to do it in a lot more responsible manner, right? And that sense of responsibility just gets accentuated when you step into this role, which I have to admit was not there earlier. Mm. And um, when you look at the two um, roles, one in HR and then as, uh, you know, a board member or CEO, um, what is the way that if you had to really advise somebody on how they need to spend their time, you know, if you had to balance between the time you spend on stuff which is happening outside the organization versus inside. So business versus function, you know, how do you balance those things and what is the right way to spend the time? First, you have to be very self-aware and honest enough in telling yourself what you don't know, mm-hmm. right? Because once once you understand that, then you will go to the right sources to be able to get to the depth of any subject or the issue and uh, make sure you familiarize yourself uh, enough. The dimensions of the roles are such that uh, you end up spending significant amount of time outside, right? I mean, you, you will be in the market, you will be engaging with the customers. 
you are in some sense uh, accountable for uh, shaping the long-term direction of the uh, organization. So which means you have to be able to figure out which new markets to go into, which uh, segments to explore, uh, whether it's organic, whether it's inorganic, whether you should take the path of collaborating with someone or go through acquisition. And each one would uh, would have its own uh, implications or consequence. And when you have a, a certain capital which is available with you, you have to make judgment calls where you allocate in that portfolio of companies you have. And depending on what you do, uh, it could have its, uh, either in short term or long term, it would have its own consequences. So uh, there's a fair amount of your time uh, which is externally focused, but depending on where you are in your own organization uh, evolution, for instance, in my organization, my part of the organization, we have started a lot of uh, newer lines of businesses, which means that I will end up spending significant amount of time trying to actually just make sure that the those organizations are doing the initial steps well and being able to put the building blocks which are necessary from where they can actually grow. So building for the future takes uh, precedence? Building for the future, uh, making the organization risk-proof, uh, making sure that uh, your organization in some sense is able to, um, the, the counter-cyclical nature of the business where, you know, if you're over-dependent in one market, you could get impacted significantly. How do you make sure that you mitigate that risk by being spread more evenly across? So combination of all these will take your time. So it's difficult to advise uh, what I would to anyone else who's, uh, who's stepping into or wanting to step into a role other than saying that, look, you have to be acutely aware of you know, your, own, uh, your own areas of strength and also at the same time, your own limitations as well. And you have to be very, very honest about it. And once you have that realization, it just enables you and helps you along to be able to go to the right, as I mentioned, to the people who can uh, who can either mentor you or coach you or can share the answers you're seeking. Dreamers and Unicorns is brought to you in partnership with PeopleStrong who are just as excited about the new code of work that is emerging. The future of HR tech is that it is so open and so connected that it becomes part of the employee's work. PeopleStrong's HR tech products in the space of talent acquisition, workforce management, talent management, and its intelligent collaboration platform, Zippy, have made it the number one choice across enterprises in Asia. For more information, check out their website, peoplestrong.com. When you consider somebody's career path from you know entry-level roles to mid-level roles and then eventually to senior-level roles, um, is there one skill that you would advise somebody to pick at each of these levels, which is which has a disproportionate uh, uh, you know, impact on the success of that person? So I I look at it in stages, uh, Abhijit. Um, you know, career is not. I mean, career does not move in a linear manner, and uh, the, the mysteries of careers are such that you cannot completely scripted in advance. I mean, you have to actually allow it to gently unfold mm -hmm. and see what lies ahead. But the stages of career are pretty set. You know, when you are there as an individual working in the team, what is expected of you? And then when you grow from there and assume a responsibility. 
And the way I see it is when you are an individual, when you are a team member, when you're fresh, you're a few years outside of, you know, whatever professional course you would have done, uh, there are a lot of navigational skills uh, which uh, you end up picking up. And just to help you understand what those navigational skills would be, how to work along uh, in teams, how to be able to communicate, how do you do time management, you're just a simple ethos of uh, uh, being able to show initiative in picking up a task and completing it in the time which you are committing yourself. And that, in some sense, shapes the core of who you will become going forward, right? It's like it's like even uh, when you go to a to a gym and you have a gym trainer will always tell you to how do you strengthen, strengthen your the core, core right? Uh, so it's in the organization. It's it's in in a similar manner when you actually start your career journey, you're learning a lot of skills in the organization, which I term it as uh, navigational skills. Um, it tells you how to maneuver your way through an organization, big or small. It doesn't matter. When you move on from there, where you actually pick up uh, uh, responsibilities for team, there are team which is dependent on you. In some sense, you are uh, you are impacting the outcomes. So, which means you are you are allocating tasks, you are reviewing, you are delegating, uh, you are making sure uh, that what you are committing to the larger organization, it could be customer, is something which is being done on the basis of the team which you carry. So, you have the right composition of the team which is there and that becomes and whatever you do isn't isn't is surely going to be uh, impacting the outcome or the task which is there with you uh, when you are allocating tasks there there must be a scenario where uh, sometimes people do not deliver what they have committed to uh, how how you know how do you deal with something like that because your own credibility um, is at stake and then you also have the team which is working with you, how do you balance that? What is your advice? There must be a specific context to it. Uh, if if there is a specific reason why one slipped, sometimes the specs are not well drawn. Sometimes the understanding of the design is not there. So there is a repeatability of the work which you had done. So it's understandable uh, why we may have slipped, you know, despite the commitments one would have done. But if there are people who are repeatedly uh, slacking on the job, and because of that, there are slip-ups, then obviously the consequences are a little different. I mean, if it's the first time, you would be lenient, you would you would counsel, you'll, you'll help the person to be able to understand. Mm -hmm. But if it's something repeated, then you clearly know that you have someone on the team you can do without. And... Um, uh, so that that's all. So there is a specific context to it. Yeah, sure. And once you move on to... A senior leadership role, uh, you are influencing the longer-term strategies of the organization. And at that point in time, your responsibilities are very different. This, therefore, the skills are also likely to be different. So you, for you to be able to understand um, uh, which I was mentioning earlier, uh, which markets to go in, your understanding of customers, your ability to interact, engage, those become uh, important. So as I said, you have to be able to see these careers in stages, uh, irrespective of what roles you perform. And each uh, each stage will have its own demands and requirements, um, uh, uh, which one is expected to deliver. But what perhaps does not change as you go through each of the stages, mm -hmm. the old-fashioned uh, 
element of you know just being able to give you 100% to whichever task you are doing uh the the old age ethos of hard work uh, right from day one you start your career till the time you actually hang up your boots uh that pretty much uh, has to remain as part of the core which i was referring to and i'm you know i'm smiling because i'm always uh, uh, sort of amazed that almost every guest that we've had on the show has said exactly the same thing but one question that i wanted to ask is that is it tougher to move uh, from being let's say someone who's been successful as a junior level entry level person to somebody who's at the middle level that transition or from middle to the senior level when the person uh, transitions which of the two transitions is much tougher and um, needs a lot more preparation if you will so challenges at each stage is very very different and uh, i can put myself in the shoes of uh, when from being an individual contributor you move on to managing teams managing a lot of people do not necessarily like managing teams a lot of people are very happy doing what they are doing but there is a societal pressure as well because um, at least the world we operate in uh, you having a lot of people reporting into you um, you can begin to talk about you know, suddenly your titles will begin to change and uh, uh, outwardly uh, it is seen as a step up where you're progressing and you could be very happy doing what you are doing as an individual contributor as well and in today's times there are organizations who have crafted career paths where you can get very well rewarded for what you are good at so the so the challenge could be multifold at at that stage also and at a when you move from being just a manager to the business because when you move from being a mid level manager to the one where you are accountable for the larger organization uh the the element of responsibility goes up multifold and uh, the there is an element of stress without doubt because the what you shoulder on from there is um, and the decisions which you end up making has a far reaching uh, impact and consequence on the larger organizations uh, many a times even the livelihood of people who are working in the organization so it takes a while for people to uh, slip into the role um, uh, but uh, if one is sensitive to uh, how one is moving uh, one is sensitive to what people are telling you uh, i think people people get along you know when we started this podcast i was telling the listeners that we are going to talk about industry 4.0 and specifically manufacturing um you know this has been traditionally one of the large job creators and most large economies it goes almost up to 25 27% of the jobs uh, go into manufacturing in india it's 10 11% approximately and yet if you see that um, i i kind of think that there are two things happening one is uh there is a requirement to create almost a million jobs a month in india and at the higher. same higher higher than that yeah. so it's more than a million jobs a month which so along with that manufacturing is going through a lot of automation so is it what do you see as the future that is manufacturing going to be able to be the sector which is going to provide 25 27% of the jobs and what will it take so first thing first abhijit uh, any growing economy and especially for a country like india where so many people are getting on to the labor pool in the in the market seeking employment uh, you must 
uh, that's one of the task of the government of the day and the enterprise and uh, the all sectors to f- generate newer jobs and no one sector can actually pull its weight so for instance in india uh, the service sector contributes upwards of about 50% true to the gdp right however the employment correction uh, employment generation is uh, somewhere in the region of about 27 28% which i think is relatively uh, lower so manufacturing will have to be able to pull in weight and no example world over where you can continue to ride on just one sector alone and especially for as i said for a country like ours uh so that's one reality and i think it's not only about manufacturing it would be about real estate it would be about construction it would be about services each one will have a role to play manufacturing interestingly is going through a very interesting phase of its own and is very exciting at the same time because the nature of manufacturing is is changing and changing very very rapidly uh and to be able to completely understand what's going on you'll have to just go back and think about what manufacturing used to be in an era where you know, the terms like industry 4.0 and all were not there i mean if you go back to the start of the industrial revolution uh when the mechanization of the production and others had started you know based on steam and hydropower to the current stage where mass production started you had these machines and the rest all there uh in today's time uh the industry 4.0 which gets talked about in simple terms in layman's term is nothing but its digitization of your factory operation now what does it do which is so different which otherwise one would not have been able to do so your machines are more intelligent you have embedded sensors you have collaborative technologies you have network processes and what it does is it generates a lot of data and because of that you it provides you the flexibility and ability to do things which earlier perhaps the course correction have. which you can do from data yes so think about i mean if there is an uh, if there is a load imbalance and there could be a possible outage it can auto correct itself if there is a machine there is a defective part i'm just giving you few examples just to illustrate it would be able to pick a new asset and make sure that the production gets restored immediately it allows the gives you the flexibility to do mass customization mm. where the individual preferences can be pulled into at the assembly line and be able to do that it allows for preventive maintenance so all that is possible today is because of the extent of automation which is taking place and uh, to me this entire space of where the convergence of machine the technology and processes and uh, what possibilities so which is lying ahead of how manufacturing will get done in future is a very very exciting phase okay and do you have hobbies what are your hobbies multiple i i i like to travel a lot mm-hmm. i uh, whenever time permits i read quite a bit what kind light, of stuff do you read light reading to uh, autobiographies to uh, fiction depending on where you are i mean if you're on a long flight you will uh, pick something which because there's a space and the time uh, you can do some deep reading as well uh i listen to music all kinds of music uh so yes i mean there are multiple things one would like to one feels at times limited for time uh but uh, there is uh, there are quite a few things which 
I like to pursue and there are quite a few things which I would like to pursue as well. And if there was one of these hobbies that you would like to get better at, yourself what would that impossible. be impossible <laughs> <laughs> why why do you say impossible <laughs> yeah i would like to be better at singing but i've given up on that oh my god and okay. all people around who have heard who have had the opportunity to hear me as well but i persist <laughs> okay all right and i think that's where excellence comes from to persist despite no you have to be you you have to be uh, wise enough to know there are certain things you should do it only for yourself can <laughs> <laughs> singing is one of them yeah thank you very much uh, prateek it was lovely chatting with you and appreciate all the time that you thanks, had thanks ajit enjoyed the conversation thank you thank you very much for being here hey listeners thank you very much for listening to this episode of dreamers and unicorns by people strong season 1 of the new code of work series if you like the show or have any feedback for us please rate and review us on apple podcasts I am Abhijit Bhaduri and you can find me at Abhijit Bhaduri on LinkedIn and Twitter so until next time thank you for listening and goodbye This show is brought to you by People Strong Asia's leading work and HR tech company For more information visit their website at newcodeofwork.com Dreamers and Unicorns is a made in India production Editorial producers May Thomas and Sean Phantom Producer Sharanya Subramanian Assistant producer Janam Devan. Sound designed and edited by Kartik Kulkarni. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success, from before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.